Welcome to another edition hey. of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Yep, this is Joe Patrice. Those were Hi, Joe uh, Patrice. the yeah, right. Um, those were your co-hosts, Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams. We're from Above the Law. We are here as we are every week to do a quick recap of some of the big stories in law from the week that was. You know, that's our that's our. That's what we do. That's here. what we do. That's what we yeah. do here. You yeah. probably know that if you're listening to the podcast. You'd think, except I constantly get emails from people saying or. I have a, a guest available to you, and it's like, we don't have, like, that's not the format of this show anymore. <laughs> they, I mean, in fairness, it was for several years. Sure. But that but was... We've moved beyond that into that a like much more six streamlined... Six or seven years ago at this Much point. more streamlined version of the show. Yeah, so... Anyway, well, now we can begin the segment of the show that's everyone's, everyone's favorite. favorite. Yeah. Small talk. All right, so some small talk. So uh, I was out last week. As yeah, how else. how did how were things in the wide world of legal tech? Uh, the wide world of legal tech is fun. I was at the International Legal Technology Association convention. Or did they have pancakes? I did not have pancakes. Pancakes were around uh, at various points. I had uh, really okay. I think I had a, I think I had a Danish anyway. Um, <laughs> Glad, glad to know that. I'm glad. I'm sure everyone's very glad to know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the pancake thing can came use. up. I mean, look, pancakes came up. I had to answer. Uh, no, but it was largely. It IHOP reference, but, you know. Oh. International House of Pancakes. International. That was, gets me. Catherine that was me. the reference. That was definitely the reference. I'm not, you I'm, should, not, I'm not supporting it. I'm just saying that was definitely the reference. <laughs> so your position is that everything international involves pancakes? Because I feel like that's reductionist. I mean, that would be a great. That would be great, though, if that were true. Well, I, when That's I get to my small talk. That's a version of American exceptionalism I was not prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> what happens, well, at, what happens outside of the free. U.S.? I don't know. Pancakes? <laughs> See, this is why you always bring up IHOP whenever international is mentioned. It just leads to great, genuine conversation. <laughs> I the, do love a pancake. Yeah. I do enjoy a pancake. Anyway, this legal is, tech. That's why people wait, are here. Wait, so under this, under this model, does this make... <laughs> Does this make Belgium a rogue state because they insist They're on the waffles? waffles. <laughs> the axis of waffles. Yes. I can get behind this worldview. I okay. would like to apologize to all listeners. I mean, French toast? What happens there? <laughs> oh, well, mm. well, actually, there they call it toast. Yeah. No, they don't. Mm. <laughs> I guess I already blew this by saying I had a Danish. <laughs> <laughs> now, and now it's all, yeah. I don't know why this tickles me so much, but I am. It shouldn't. It should not. Uh, Yeah. So I was. So it was very good. Uh, Saw a lot of cool stuff. Talked to some. You know, a lot of the vendors about what they're looking at and what's going forward. Uh, There's a. There's this thing called AI. Uh, No way. It it came up in conversation a few times. Yeah. They mentioned Alan Iverson. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it was not a game, it was not a game. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No. So. It was interesting because I actually thought that my most my number one takeaway from it was that there's actually kind of a a push and pull happening in legal tech that I didn't expect. I expected the vendors and the tech people to be kind of on the cutting edge about AI and think that there's a lot of applications for it. And the law firms and partners being people who refuse to take a step into that world for a variety of both good and bad reasons. And there is definitely some of that. But the take the parallel takeaway I got was that 
for some of these legal tech people, they're a little frustrated because the lawyers are excited about AI in ways they've not been about tech in the past and in dumb ways, saying things <laughs> like, go out and get me some AI. Uh, what's our AI strategy? How are we integrating AI into this product? And the answer to some in some of these instances is we aren't, we aren't because that would be uh, a recipe for getting disbarred you know like, <laughs> so it, it, it it's a it's an interesting push pull and by that i mean that like you know there's just certain tasks that don't lend themselves to ai like uh, like managing your documents like the, you could search functions and stuff like that ai is very helpful but you know e forensic e-discovery you know like it it becomes a little bit tougher. I mean, there's there are use cases that I can think of in that field, but you know, not ones you necessarily want to rush into, lest you end up with uh, fake evidence, and that never ends up well. Yeah, this is this is a pretty serious conversation, though. This is this is more serious than our Most last. Small talk. Our, well, last week we talked a lot about Pokemon, so that's what you missed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. half this conversation has been about pancakes. I want you to understand. Can we, go, can we go back to that part? Yeah. Can we get a chocolate chip pancake? And at one point, what I think is, it was like international like treaties and stuff, and there was a war reference. So some complicated is, pancakes. What is Denny's strategy for integrating generative AI into the pancake process? <laughs> Moons over my hammy is going to oh, be yeah. their counteroffensive for those yeah. who appreciate a salty breakfast option. Wow. <laughs> now, this is not the first time I've heard a salty response from Catherine, but it has to be the <laughs> Let's see what Ron DeSantis thinks about the moon over my hammies offensive. <laughs> I'm calling it. Uh, wait, no, I wanted I wanted to say one thing and then and then go we can do it. our then we can do our jobs or whatever. Okay, go ahead. One of the reasons that IHOP was on my mind, mm -hmm. not because of the pancakes, kind of. I'm rewatching The Good Place, which is a really good mm -hmm. show. Yeah, it is. A um, show. And there's a section with the international hole of pancakes. Oh, and I think it's I think it's interdimensional hole of pancakes or something like that. But yeah, for those that haven't watched it, it's great. There's this moment where Chidi sees the time knife. That's all I'll say because I don't want to have any spoilers. But that's all. You're guarding against spoilers for a show that went off the air a few years ago. Hey, look, people are still I getting spoilers it. about. People were mad about getting spoilers for The Passion of the Christ. I, I mean, I saw people mad about spoilers for Oppenheimer, and that that was happened. real life. It happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they they're gonna they're gonna make the bomb anyway. So <laughs> with all of that done now, so now we can move on. Uh, what are we gonna talk about today, Catherine? We can talk about a bunch of different things, but the first one is big law productivity. Uh -oh. It's down, you guys. It's it's way down to historically uh -oh. low levels. Yeah, there was a survey conducted by the Wells Fargo Legal Specialty Group, um, as they want to do and get us all sort of the nitty gritty about what's going on on the ground in big law. Found a couple of things. First is that there's a bunch of lawyers at big law, but they're not super busy. The uh, amortized kind of billable billable hours per lawyer is hovering around 1,538 hours. And that is an historic low. The 2021 mid-year report said that the average billable hours would be 1688, which was the high water mark. But even the couple years before the pandemic, in 2019, 2018, we saw numbers around 1631. So it's about 100 hours fewer than where we would expect the billable hours to be. Okay, so a couple of observations about this, uh, having not been here for this report. So now when 
Uh, you say historic low, but like mm -hmm. when did they start doing this report? Do we know? Like, because there there are some there are some reports historically that the billable calendar has jacked up a lot over the decades. That the when we hear partners say, you know, back in my day I did X Y Z. In reality, in the eighties, they were working like three hundred hours less. Sure, average. sure. So by historic, this was this is when the start of the Wells Fargo legal specialty groups, reporting. right? Which which sounds like it probably has been within the last 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, so there is that to keep that in a little bit of perspective. Uh, I mean, look, they're billing less time. Is that the end of the world? Like so, so where is? Does it break it down by practice area? It does not. That's just sort of the average number that they're seeing. But uh, but it, it is a little disturbing, I think, because there already are you know folks that are making cuts. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've been laid off, you're not included in that number, <laughs> right? Right. So this is already you know uh, taking into account the layoffs, the deferrals that we've already seen. If people haven't started their big law job yet, they're not included, obviously, in this number. And I think the other part of what's interesting about this report is what people are planning on doing about this. People are not billing as much. What does that mean? Will we see more layoffs? Maybe, but probably not, I think is what the report says, is that most firms are in a position of just trying to wait it out. Yeah. Let's let's kind of take the hits if we have to take the hit for a year or so and see where we are in a year, you know, thinking that this will be cyclical. We're going to see an increase in demand, you know, sooner rather than later. And we'll kind of figure it out then. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen some good demand numbers mm -hmm. over the last couple of bit, uh, quarters. And then we have, I think a lot of us believe that deal activity is going to kick up in the second half of the year. So that would theoretically kick up those transactional numbers. I would be very interested to see if there were some breakdown between practice area and maybe even firms. Uh, there are firms who are really heavy in certain, you know, with certain clients who mm -hmm. are suffering more than others, uh, that would not, that would bring down that number, obviously. You know, from a tech perspective, there's obviously some degree of the hours will go down as efficiency goes up. But sure, know, sure. I but, don't think you know, that's really what this yeah. is. And, and I but I, the other thing that I want to talk about is the big laws response, you know, seeing this sort of d decrease in demand for billables, the reaction has been to wait and see. And I think that's in large part a reaction to what happened in 2009, 2010, during the Great Recession. During that era, firms were very quick to start cutting associate jobs. And what happened was they didn't have bodies in place when demand picked up. And they all of a sudden had a miss missing classes worth of partners and senior associates that should have been in place if they hadn't done these massive layoffs in in 09. And I think that they were caught sort of with their pants down during that era. And they want to make sure they're not put in that unfortunate position again. Yeah, I keep saying that the firms that are making these cuts, you know, they have to think, they have to think through the long term effects of it. Because, yeah, it sucks to pay big law salaries mm -hmm. and not get tons of production out of them for six months. But if you think things are turning around in six months, 
paying them that without getting, you know, without getting necessarily getting the hours in return is a small price to pay for not having to start over from scratch when everyone's lateraled out of your firm later. I think that's also why we see firms being a lot more upfront about the cuts too. So there's not sort of bad blood between the firms and the folks that they're letting go mm-hmm. and, you know, which opens up the door for them to be rehired uh, and they're not being sort of bad feelings about it the way there was in 2010 when for, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to go back to certain firms. Right. And I think a lot of people felt similarly who were impacted by those layoffs. I think that's right. Even if this is because of work shortages, do you think that remote work is going to get scapegoated as a as a reason for this? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's probably that's actually a great point. Yeah. I do think that they're going to scapegoat remote work, even though it's probably not the case. In fact, if anything, remote work is probably driving up these numbers a little bit more than otherwise because people can bill their commute uh, because they don't have to spend hmm. an hour driving back and forth every day. But no, that it, it, that is definitely true. Well, and you know they'll force everyone back into the office, and nothing will change, or something will, and it'll be completely exogenous, and they'll they'll, they'll attribute they'll it. They'll still yeah. give themselves a gold star for forcing everybody back to the office. Yeah. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. So big law diversity efforts are currently under attack, uh, you know, fresh off of the victory. That's so weird because it's (laughs) it's weird because when the, the Supreme Court did that case and struck down affirmative action at the colleges when people said, hey, they are striking down affirmative action. A bunch of people assured from the Federalist Society assured me (laughs) this was a very limited opinion and it would not in any way spill over. And it was unfair and potentially slanderous to be calling it the end of affirmative action. So you're saying. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be bigger. Uh, Edward Blum, who founded Students for Fair Admission, who were the plaintiffs in the case that you're talking about, uh, also founded the American Alliance for Equal Rights. And that group has sued two different big law firms offer off because of they have fellowship programs that are DEI focused. So uh, Perkins Coie was sued in the Northern District of Texas and MOFO, Morrison Foster, was sued in the Southern District of Florida because of their diversity fellowships. 
Yeah. And Blum has said things like uh, that it's rank discrimination and how dare these firms think that this is acceptable, that kind of you know general attitude uh, about it. I don't think there's any much surprise that Perkins Coie is the first one that they attack. Uh, this is the Democratic Party's longtime law firm. Uh, mm-hmm. Although Mark Elias is no longer. Mark Elias is no longer Elias, there, yeah. but, they, uh, but the Democratic Party doesn't use Elias anymore anyway. So mm. it, it, Perkins Coie is like a long time. Dem firm, and so of course they would go after that. Uh, I don't quite, I can't quite tell off the top of my head why they would target Morrison Forrester, uh, like because it's not well, like these are the only two who. No. Yeah. Well, okay. I think they had a couple of things. They have diversity fellowships that mm-hmm. are specific to bringing one and two L students from underrepresented backgrounds to the firms. But I think also Mofo recently opened up their Florida office, and I think that having a Florida district court judge and going through the, that circuit court process is going to be more favorable than if they were starting the litigation in New York. Oh, right. The forum shopping aspect of all of yes. this. Yes. Great. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not a coincidence that these cases are in Texas and Florida. Right. That is a much higher brow assumption on why that was the case. I just assume somebody said, we need to get these mofos. And then more. <laughs> I mean, it helps. <laughs> but no, that's a great point that they uh, there's a bit of forum shopping when you can make sure that you're going to end up in the fifth and 11th circuits, right. respectively. Which, listen, it's probably going to go to the Supreme Court regardless, but it's better to be wanting to affirm the circuit court's decision than trying to overturn it. And that's a good point. And then once it gets to the Supreme Court, all those people who told me that original opinion was very, very limited. Well, you know, that the court will never go further that. Okay. They'll never acknowledge it happened. Yeah. Okay. We're back. Uh, I think the last story is an evolving story that is coming out of one of our favorite law schools. Uh, We're talking about ass law, um, the Antonin Scalia school of law law school now. But yes. Well, no, they're trying to, they they created that in an attempt to make us forget that it's ass law. Sure. So it's an evolving story uh, to catch up a former Federal Trade Commission commissioner, Joshua Wright, who's been a professor at George Mason Law School. He recently announced that he was happy to report, you know, happy to announce that he was moving to the private sector and leaving academia. Uh, That prompted another law professor uh, at Cleveland State to point out that she had a skeevy experience with him where he was the head of hiring for the law school at George Mason and, you know, dangled job prospect in front of her to get her to go to dinner with him. And then he propositioned her. She's uh, right. <laughs> she later found out that the job never really existed from another professor that she trusted. So that was a, you know, in the annals of sexual harassment, that is not the worst, but it's, you know, not great. That that went viral, uh, and that was followed up by a pair of senior lawyers now, a uh, partner and an, of counsel at two big law firms, pointing out that when they were one L's, they got, in, they got propositioned by him and then ultimately engaged in years-long sexual relationships with him. Uh, so as a professor, he was picking up one L's. They told this to Law360, who published an article about it. And then he has now sued them for $108 million of defamation because they he says they've ruined his, his business uh, and his professional contracts and his reputation in professional circles is down and yada, yada. He claims they were trying to extort money from him by like asking for millions of dollars to not go forward with their story. 
that's at least what he's said. Uh, the so so that's where we are. Okay, okay. That, that that's been a journey. It, it has been a bit of a journey. So his complaint I- exists. I've read it, uh, so that you all don't have to. What, uh, what's your what's your take on that complaint? Yeah, there's um, it's it's a it's a fascinating complaint. I actually think it's it's really fun as a complaint to see somebody not understand what is going on, <laughs> uh, because this is a guy who's so his complaint is you know they've ruined my reputation. But he begins from the premise of they've ruined my reputation. They consented to all of this. So I'm totally, there was nothing wrong. Uh, and it kind of glosses over the way in which maybe in 2023, his reputation is being harmed more from he was a 40 something professor picking up his 1Ls than it was any kind of coercion sort of thing. So while, so he writes this long diatribe about that, there's a, uh, there's some fascinating allegations, parts where he says, oh, you know, one of them's just jealous because she knew that I had started sleeping with another law student that was her rival. And so he's bringing more more weirdness. Well, that's it. the thing, because he he doesn't say it's the other one in the suit, which which seems to suggest that we now have three one else that he was sleeping with at one time. Yes. Yeah. There, yeah, so he's he's making that he's saying that in his complaint. Uh, usually, people don't write complaints that make them sound worse. Uh, <laughs> it, just as a general rule, it, tactically, that's a bad move. It's a fascinating one. He talks about how they made this demand to extort him for millions of dollars, but he says that happened after they destroyed his reputation professionally. So I don't quite understand how that extortion scheme works because uh, you lose a lot of the leverage after you've already done the damage. <laughs> I, it's crazy. Uh, it does read like someone who didn't understand uh, the assignment, which uh, he's represented by uh, folks from the Benal Law Group, which is uh, one of the Trump land regulars involved in all of the election stuff there, unsurprisingly, perhaps. Uh, and that's where we sit with this case so far. I feel like this is going to continue to be a source of stories for you, Joe. It could well oh, continue yeah. to be a source of stories for me. Uh, I was yeah, going to say, what's the over-under when it's getting worse? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, it's it's going to be interesting. I, like, and so, I, I really don't understand. It, it, having read it, I'm not positive where he thinks he's going to gain traction. I mean, he makes a lot of very hyper-technical arguments in the complaint, like technically I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to disclose these relationships under university policy at the time. And I'm like, yeah, but do you, do you think the reason your reputation is suffering is because you didn't disclose them? Uh, I think it's probably not. He talks about, Oh, you know, they agreed to carry on this fair. I didn't really pressure them. And I'm like putting aside the questions of whether or not, uh, professor power dynamic who's been a federal government official and a 1L whether or not there's some sort of a power dynamic thing there putting that aside also not altogether sure that's all that relevant it's not as though the sure if he'd been they alleged they'd been coerced that would have been worse but it's not good what he admits to isn't good for his reputation yeah like in the women's accounts they they talk about they found themselves in a situation where they felt professionally they couldn't say no, you know, and he's like, well, I never 
physically coerce them or anything. And I'm like, I don't think they're saying you did. Yeah. Uh, so it really interesting. I'm kind of shocked that the complaint got this far. I don't really know what he's hoping to get other than, you know, kind of the slap suit uh, approach of just hoping to send a case, hit them with a case that's annoying enough and expensive enough that they drop it. I, well, but good I'd, thing that he's suing lawyers then. Yeah, I'm because, like, you know, you know, the fa- famously impoverished Kirkland and Ellis partners, you know, <laughs> like I, I, I don't know what he thinks he's going to accomplish here. So are we pretending the hundred eight million is a legitimate amount? No, no, it's ridiculous. Like, it's like, an absolutely what? ridiculous so number. Like, even if it's like, where did I just don't know where that number came from? So it's interesting because he does in the complaint make allegations of several million dollars worth of business that he's losing. Uh, I assume he's doing the thing where he's multiplying that out for the rest of his working life and saying the fact that he's missing out on like one and a half million dollars a year is, from but, XYZ client but, means. But yeah. no, is he like trying to finesse some antitrust game, uh, some antitrust thing and make this trouble damages? Like, no, he's not no. money. He's not cashed up like that. Like, he doesn't have that much going for him, I'm assuming. Yeah. No, I mean, he well, I mean, the, the reason uh, Chris throws antitrust in there, because it seems like it was a little bit out of left field. This is an antitrust law per- expert. Uh, and they're all actually all the people involved are antitrust law experts. But the case itself is not. And also but trouble he, damages, uh, you get three times more. Well, right. No, but there's plenty of different things that go there. Um, but he. um yeah, he. I think he's just trying to say that the lifetime of his career is missing. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I also don't know how how troubled his career will actually be. He's, you know, the the kinds of clients that he probably enjoys are not uh, likely people who worry about this sort of allegation. Anyway, so that's that's that story. I think that's everything for the week. Is yeah. that right? All right, so we're a little bit short today, but uh, that's good. We'll get you back on your day. You can start billing and being a lot more productive because you need to be. See, I'm helping. We are helping. I'm helping the bigger problem here. You're welcome. This is, yeah, so you should be subscribed to the show uh, so you get new episodes when they come out, leave reviews, stars, write something. Always helps. You should be reading above the law. You should be following us on social media. It's at ATL blog at various places. I'm at Joseph Patrice on X, I suppose. Uh, and I'm Joe Patrice on Blue Sky. Catherine is Catherine One at both places. Chris is Rights for Rent on the formerly known as Twitters. And what on Blue Sky or whatever? To be Anything determined. Yet? And that's not the name. It's 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 yeah. You haven't done all right. Okay, fair. Uh, You should be listening to other podcasts. Uh, Catherine's the host of the Jabot. I'm a guest on Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. There's a bunch of shows on the Legal Talk Network worth checking out. And with all of that, I think we're done. And we'll talk to you next week. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, 
hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.